Well, it's great to get up here this morning, see all of you here. What a great time we've had just celebrating the victory in Jesus Christ. You know, a a few years ago, Time Magazine had this picture. It's a picture from the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. And you see the caption underneath it, Adam has fallen again. You see, there's this 16th century statue of Adam, and overnight it fell. At first they thought it was vandals, and then they found out it had fallen on its own. The director of the museum said these words, it will take a great deal of time and skill, but the peace can be restored. And my friends, this morning we come to the fall, the first fall of Adam, the fall of Eve, and the fall of all of us. And here's the good news as we start this morning. God has the time and the skill to put it all back together. That's what we're going to see as we march through this amazing story. You see, this is going to help understand why does a toddler do the one thing you've asked him not to do? Why do all teenagers have some sense of rebellion? Why would a four-year-old slip a wooden spoon under a door? Why would a man with a beautiful wife and children risk everything for pleasure for a moment? Why would anybody walk into a school of innocent children and kill so many? Why in the world would six young men go in a small little city in Alabama called Dadeville and shoot people up at a sweet 16 party? Why does an executive risk his integrity He's already making plenty of money, but he makes a crooked deal just to get a little bit more. Why does a bright student cheat on exam? Why do all of us have these internal attractions to lying and gambling and pornography and swearing and certainly selfishness and pride? It's because of this fall and the fallen world that we live in. You see, I want you to know this morning as we talk about this, this is a pretty serious Sunday, guys. If you don't get this, you're not going to ever understand the world we live in. And on the other hand, if you don't get this, you will never understand the incredible songs of victory and grace and celebration we've just sung. Until we see how bad it was, we will never grasp how good God is. You see, last week we were in Genesis chapter 2, and we left Adam and Eve in a perfect place. It was paradise. Everything's going great. There's two trees. There's one that extends your life, and there's one that shortens your life. And God gives one rule. Don't eat from the one that will shorten your life. We get to Genesis chapter 3, and everything falls apart. Go to Genesis chapter 3 with me to verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, you can just hear this dripping, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? God really say that? Come on. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. So so Eve quotes God back, but did you notice one thing Eve added? She added to the command of God. God never said, don't touch it. And and as religious people, we're always tempted to add more rules to what God has already given, right? I think God's good enough at it. 
It's often like the Pharisees and like church people. Often we come to a rule God's made and we put a fence around it and we impose our rule above God's rule. That's exactly what Eve's doing. But then Satan contradicts exactly what God said. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. And come on, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. We always wonder, why does Adam take the fall here? Because, my friends, from the beginning, Adam had been set up as the head of the house. And that word head is not so much about authority as it is about protection. Adam's there, and Adam passively watches this happen. So she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them was opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. Now, guys, at the end of chapter 2, we just saw them last week naked without shame. And now after their fall, they now have shame. So how does the fall happen? Let me give you just some practical points. And you can probably see these exact things happening or have happened in your life. First of all, Satan comes in disguise. He doesn't knock on your door and say, hey, I'm the devil, and I'd like to get you to hell. No. He comes disguised. In this moment, he comes disguised as an animal. And we know even from the New Testament that demonic beings can inhabit animals like the pigs that Jesus threw demons in. And so we have Satan inhabiting this serpent. You see, the the New Testament says Satan can look so good that he can look like an angel of light. And here's what Satan can do. He can make bad things like here look really good, and he can make things that are really good look really bad because Satan is the master of disguise. Jesus says he's a deceiver. He's He's the father of all lies. So next, Satan attacks God's Word. Well, that's a great ploy from Satan, isn't it? Just, just, just question what God has said. He, first of all, just raises a little bit of doubt. Did God really say that? I mean, you sure that God's really got that standard? And then he just flat out contradicts what God said. You will not die. Oh, my goodness, we see this everywhere right now. You probably see it in your own life. And we've got the inspired Word of God, and yet we feel bold enough to actually question what God has said. It might be, is the, did Jesus, you really mean that the unforgiving are unforgiven? Jesus, I mean, church has got so many problems. Did you really mean that church is what you built and what we're supposed to be a part of as Christians? Or can I not just do this on my own? God, I know, I know that you said something about drunkenness, but, but do you mean I can't just binge drink every once in a while or some special occasion, just get drunk? You really mean that? Or God, come on, in the culture we live in, Do you still have this standard that sex only belongs between a man and a woman in marriage? That's so old-fashioned. You can't still mean that. We just deny exactly what God has said. 
And I want to ask you this morning, as you watch this progression of how Satan works, where is Satan tempting you to compromise what God has clearly said? Because the word around us says he didn't really mean it, or even he didn't really say it. And then Satan goes even further. He attacks God's character. He basically says, to e, God, the, the deal here, the problem here is God's holding out on you. God knows if you eat this for you, you're going to be just like him. You can rival him. And, and he doesn't want you to have that. I mean, one of Satan's greatest ploys in my life, in your life, is to go, you know what? God really wants to steal your fun. I mean, if I really surrendered my life to Jesus, and I started, stopped all the partying and all the other things, I'd probably be miserable. What would I do with my life? And God, God, God's just holding out on you. You know what I mean? He, he doesn't really know what's best for you. My friends, God created you. God knows you better than you know you. God knows what's going to make you happy, and God knows what's going to mess you up. And yet here, he questions God's character. And Eve believes the lie that God's holding out, and she decides she'd make a better God. And that's the final tactic. Satan attacks God's position. Satan says, Eve, the reason God's holding back on you is he don't want a rival. You can be like God. You, you, you can live your life with a Burger King theology. Have it what? Your way. I mean, you know, Eve, I know God said all this stuff, but you know what? We'd say in our culture today, there really is no absolute truth. You probably can figure out truth for yourself. You just do it your way, and you're going to end up okay. And that's exactly what Eve and what Adam fell for. And then look what happens afterwards. I mean, look at verse 8 of chapter 3. When they have to encounter God again, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It seems that this was their regular practice. I mean, I love the beauty of, of paradise is that they're walking with God every day in sweet fellowship and friendship. But today it's a little bit off. They hid from the Lord. God among the trees of the garden. Isn't that a bright idea, trying to hide from God? But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Now, guys, do you think God really doesn't know where they are? Oh, no, no. He's given Adam a chance to come clean. Dad, you ever set your children down or one of your, you know, a child down and said, is there anything you need to tell me before we get in this conversation? I, I'm just going to get you the opportunity before I blast you to just go ahead and tell me a little bit about what happened. And, and, and Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Again, he's trying to get him to confess and come clean. The man said, here's the blame game beginning. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord looked at the woman and says, what is this you have done? The woman plays the blame game. The servant deceived me and I ate. Because it ends up in a, a terrible cycle of life. And here's the way I'd succinctly put it for you this morning. It starts, first of all, with the shame. Why, why do they feel exposed like this? Because they're living in shame. Guys, there's a great difference between guilt, which God can actually use to make you a better person, and shame. Guilt means you feel bad about what you did. Shame means you feel bad about who you are. 
And so Adam and Eve begin to, to feel this shame. And instead of coming clean about it, they begin to play this blame game. Not only do they blame each other and blame the Satan, they actually indirectly blame God. God, it, it's this woman, excuse me, God, I wouldn't be in this trouble if you had not given her to me. And then it ends to this battle that I call for fame. Who's going to be in charge? That's the story of the rest of the Bible. Who's going to be in charge? Me or God? And if you keep reading through Genesis, it reaches the apex when man shakes his fist at God and says, I know better in Genesis chapter 11 where they build the Tower of Babel. And here's exactly what they say. We're building it that we may make a name for ourselves. These creatures that were created to bring glory to God have now decided they would rather bring glory to themselves. And my friends, we have tried to escape that from the beginning of time. So we've seen the fall. And now we're going to talk a moment about the fallout. Because guys, here's what you've got to understand about the story we're reading this morning. It's not just about Adam and Eve. What happened there has changed everything about everything. It's changed everything about us. Let me, let me make this illustration. This is the best way I can illustrate it. Some of you know the worst plant nuclear disaster was in Chernobyl, which was a part of the Soviet Union in 1986, and now it's a part of Ukraine. If you go to Ukraine now, man, there's just miles and miles of things that have been deserted because of Chernobyl. Because at Chernobyl, Chernobyl, they weren't going by the rules. And there were operator errors, and it caused a meltdown, even a meltdown of the core of that nuclear plant. And it burst the whole building open with fire, and nuclear radiation went. It was, it was gauged all the way to Canada. And a study has said the land around Chernobyl cannot be inhabited by people for 20,000 years. This one explosion changed everything. And guys, the explosion that happens when man and woman sin, it reaches further than Canada. It's reached the atmosphere of the whole world. And it's lasted thousands of years, even to today. So there's the fallout. Go, go to Scripture and let's, let's look at it. Look back in Genesis chapter 3, now let's go to verse 14, where God begins to say, this is the um, consequences of what you guys have done. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Seems like snakes had legs before this. And then he says to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, this is referring to Jesus, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That's an incredible verse we'll look at later. The woman, to the woman, he said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you'll give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And then to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. 
you know, where all these weeds and thorns came from. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And everything's getting messed up a little bit. And then, on top of that, go down to verse 23. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove the man out. He placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So after he's done all this, he also says, I'm going to set up a guard that you will never get to the tree of life. You will never be able to get to the tree that would make your life live forever. Now, why would God do that? Is he being cruel? Oh, absolutely not. God knows none of us want to live forever on this sinful earth. And so he's protecting us from that by guarding that tree that would allow us to live, but in this, this mess. So what's the fallout from the fall? Because that's, that's what you, you need to see this morning, and I need to see this morning. What's different because of this explosion? Let me just give you some things really quickly for you to think about because it's all about separation, okay? Sin separates us from God. It separates us from a lot of good things. There's environmental separation. He curses the ground. Why do you think right now your grass has so many weeds in it? Why do you think there are floods and droughts and hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes? That wasn't the original plan for the earth. It's because we live in a fallen earth. In your own life, there's psychological separation. Man had felt really good about himself. There was no shame before this moment. But after the fall, man doesn't really like himself. Where do you think low self-esteem and self-image and self-loathing come from? It came from that fall. And then there's relational separation. He starts all talks of the, the relational tension between Adam and Eve. They go from perfect compatibility to actually competition. And any of us that have been married know that that tension can be there. One writer put it this way, woman would always be tempted to be controlling and man would be most tempted to be passive. Funny, I heard a lady corner me after first service in the lobby and say, oh my goodness, I got a problem being controlling. I said, how about your husband? Is he passive? And she said, absolutely. That's the temptation. There's that tension. So all relationships begin to have that tension. And guys, because of that, things like love and unity and peace are so unusual. You know, when you, when you find a marriage where they're really loving each other and getting along, that's awesome. When you live in a community where there's not division, that's exceptional. Even when you go to church where people don't critique each other, they love each other. They bear with each other. They're okay that they're not just alike. When you go to a church like that and there's still love despite great diversity, you go, man, I hadn't seen many churches like that. Because my friends, listen to me. That's one of the problems of the fall. And the only way that's overcome, the only way the church can be united, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And when you see that, the Spirit, and that's what I love about this church. This is a great united church. Do we have our differences? Absolutely. But even behind the scenes, do we love each other? Absolutely. 
And I don't give us any credit. I give the Spirit credit because that is shockingly unusual after the fall. And then there's physical separation. We call that death. Your body is separated from your spirit. And the last I checked, the statistics are still 100% chance of death, all right? And then one more, and this is the bottom of all of it, is spiritual separation. Because God is holy and God is righteous. God cannot be one with sin. He separates from man. Before this moment, they're comfortable just strolling through the Garden of Eden together. Now there's a distance. And so we try to fill that void. And so we go down all these dead end streets. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of miserable. If I could just party enough, I'd be okay. And I go down that street and it's dead end. And then I think, well, man, if I could just, um, you know, if I, I just could be promiscuous and I go down that thing and it's a dead end. Or I think, you know, if I could just make enough money and have enough things. And for a moment, it's sort of exciting. And then I run into another dead end street. Guys, they're all dead end streets. Because the only thing that's going to fulfill you is to be reconciled and restored to that relationship with Jesus. And that's what's been so exciting about all these songs we've been singing this morning. About what Jesus has done to reverse the curse of the fall. Because after the fall, here's a good way to think about it. We all have a sinful nature. It's like Mark Twain. We're all like the moon. All of us have a dark side. I have a dark side. There are things I wouldn't want you to see in my life. I'm sure there are things in your life you wouldn't want me to see. Why? Because we have been stuck ever since with this sinful nature that if we just go with the flow, if we just go the natural way, some, sometimes we say, well, I'm not going to make any big effort, you know, toward living a holy life. I'll just sort of do what feels right to me. And let me tell you, if you do what feels right to you, you're going to go down one of those dead-end streets. Because we all have this fallen nature. I tell you who knows it are parents with teenagers, right? Uh, let's say you've got a 16 year old daughter and this 17 year old boy asks her out on a date. You're the dad. You're thinking, we've got to put some barriers up here. Because I can remember what it was like to be a 17 year old male with hormones raging, all right? And so, and so I, I've, got to, I've, got to, I've got to warn this because if things just go the natural way, they're not going the right way. Or maybe you're the mother that goes, <clears throat> I'm telling you what, I'm going to tell you right now, you guys are not going to be in our home alone. Either we're here or you, y'all can't come in. And you go, Mom, that is so crazy. <clears throat> Do you not trust us? And she would go, yeah, I don't trust you. And she'd probably say something like this. That's just too much temptation to put yourself under. I've seen so many families make mistakes like that. My friends, the cause of the fall, <coughs> we have this sinful nature <coughs> that we have to deal with. Let's, let's go to one more passage, Romans chapter 8. And I want you to see what's going on in this world around us. What is the fallout of the fall? Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Creation was messed up by this story. Creation is waiting for God to finally free it. And this is what we're doing right now. We know that the whole creation has been groaning 
What a great word. Even nature is groaning, and as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. But not just creation, us. <clears throat> not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Creation groans, we groan. Why do we groan? My friends, we groan because things are not quite right. And I said to you at the beginning of this message, if you don't understand this, you're going to live a life that's full of frustration. Because if you think, if I could just purchase this next thing, or do this thing, or accomplish this, if I could just get to this situation, then everything in my life will be good. And, and some of us, we spend our life miserable because there's some part of our life that's not all in order. And, and what the fall would teach us is until Jesus comes back, my friends, it's never going to be all in order. And if you're waiting for everything to fall in place before that, you're going to be waiting a long, long time. And, and there's a part of us that groans. We just know, gosh, all you got to do is watch the news. Something's wrong. Something's big time wrong. And one day it will all be healed when Jesus comes back, and we as his kingdom are outposts for this healing. You see, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what we do is we begin to bring a restoration of that creation that will one day be completely fulfilled, and the Garden of Eden will be restored in the new creation. But in between, it's pretty tough, isn't it? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands right now. But how many of you are struggling? Maybe you're struggling with sin. Wouldn't be shocking for any of us. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Maybe you're just struggling living in the fallout from the fall. And so as we begin to close this morning, that's the two questions I want to ask you. We're going to ask our shepherds and their wives and ministers and their spouses, if they'd go ahead and surround the stage and go to some of the back corners of the worship center, we're going to give you a chance to pray today before you walk out. And here's our two questions. Are you trapped in sin? And did you see how incredibly smooth Satan works to bring us down? He disguises himself. He makes us doubt God's word. He even makes us doubt God. And maybe in your life, he's taking you down that path. And this morning, I'm not asking you to come before this church and, and confess it in front of everybody, but I am asking you to confess it in front of somebody. James chapter 5 says, when we confess our sins one to another, we are healed. Well, so you say, well, I don't need to do that, buddy. I've already confessed my sin to God. Let me tell you, when you confess your sin to God, you are immediately forgiven. But confessing to somebody is healing. That someone can hear the worst of you and still love you is amazing. And today, if that's what you need to do, that's why we're all here. Just come give your name and say, this is, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm falling to. Well, then probably a broader question for all of us is, how do you feel the effects of the fall? I mean, this morning is... Life just more difficult than it should be, and relationships are more difficult than you wish they were.
and work is more tiring than you think it's supposed to be. And you watch what's going on in our nation, in our world, and you say, oh, Lord, please help us. And right now, you're just feeling the weight of fallenness, the fallout from the fall. And today, the Bible says we bear each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So this morning, if it would help you just to come tell somebody and let them pray for you about what you're experiencing in this fallen earth, then, then please do that. Don't hold back. All you got to do is walk up here, come to one of us and say, hey, here's my name. And this is the part of the, the fall that I'm struggling with right now. It may just even be the fall within yourself that you're just not liking you right now. But for whatever reason, today's an excellent opportunity for us to combat the work of Satan by exposing his lies to the light. So if you need to be prayed for, come right now to some of us around this building while we stand and sing.